So today we begin a new series entitled Reflections on Psalms and Proverbs. <clears throat> this will be a short series, but in light of Advent and the coming new year, beginning of the year, this is timely. The new year and Advent and year-end offers us opportune time to be reflective, to be mindful about what God has taught us over the year, and to start the year right. And there are a few things that we need to um, go over as a preliminary observation before we delve into the Psalm 9. And by the way, Psalms and Proverbs are lengthy books, but for our meditation and reflection, we're going to be going over selective passages, and today we focus on Psalm 9. The first thing about Psalm 9 is that it is a psalm, and Psalms, Book of Psalms, is a part of Old Testament wisdom literature, including Psalms and Proverbs and Job, um, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. Those are the uh, so-called wisdom literature contains much wisdom. At, um, this might be a good time to remind us the three important roles in Old Testament. And one of them, obviously, was priests. priests who are the priests? They are the people who are representing the rest of the people to God, in response to God. So we don't have the need for priests anymore because Jesus, our mediator and high priest, once for all, cleared the access to the throne of grace. Another uh, people are called the prophets, and prophets' role is delivering the revelation of God, revelation from God. There are the people who speak the words of God, and now we have written words. So if you think about God, priest representing, responding to God on behalf of God's people, and prophets speak for God and from God to people. Wisdom literature is wise men's reflection for us. Obviously, wisdom literature, part of it's psalms and prayer and song, and it, it has so much element of humanity. Why? Because some days you feel, you feel very tired, you feel discouraged. Sometimes, some days you feel joyful. Some days you're experiencing blessings of God. And some days you're walking through the dark tunnel. So we ought to go to the book of Psalms to be equipped and helped with the languages and ideas that will help us to 
approach God. And other wisdom literature like Proverbs will help us to think about the practical life from the real people who have experienced real problems. The Proverbs actually make our life work. Simply as that. So why have I chosen Psalms and Proverbs to reflecting on some of it in this year end and Advent and beginning of this the new year? Because Psalms and Proverbs will help us to be reflective and to be mindful about God's wisdom. But not in a sense the prophets declaring God's truth to us. Not in a sense the priests helps us to respond to God through offering. But in a sense that we actually look at these writings and relate. And so much of our humanity, so much of our feelings, we could identify with theirs. Secondly, it is a psalm of David, uh, written by David, and it is an individual lament psalm. It doesn't look like it. It starts with thanksgiving and praise, right? But it, it is an individual <clears throat> lament psalm to be sung also as a communal lament psalm for the people of Israel. <clears throat> And it contains his real-life experience of faith amidst of affliction. The reason why it's a lament is not his life circumstances situation right now. He's not experiencing rosy garden. It's it's very difficult time of trouble. Third observation. Some... Nine was written intentionally as an acrostic psalm, which means the Hebrew alphabet, starting with the first alphabet, the first stanza will start with that, and second and third. It is an incomplete about alphabet of nine. And then actually continues with Psalm 10, which doesn't have a subscription, which means we don't really know who wrote Psalm 10. So hence the reason is many scholars, some of the scholars will say Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 was actually written by David together and we should consider it one psalm. Subtugian, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible in, during B.C., uh, two, two century uh, about 600 B.C. or so, they actually said, they actually put those two psalms together in one. Some of the scholars will say, um, looking at Psalm and Psalm 10, there is a much literally differences as well as the content differences, stylistically also too. So, uh, there are different opinions about that. So hence the reason why we're just focusing on 
Psalm 9. Psalm 10 becomes much more lament. Why have you stayed away so long, so long from us? Starts like that. But the point that I'm going to make is it is an intentional psalm. When you put it together, Psalm 119 is that. Acrostic psalm, all through that. The whole psalm. It was to teach the children, to teach, to recite and recount as a communal song of Israelites to God. So we could learn much from that as well. Lastly, Psalm 9 shows a pattern of David's prayer life and wisdom in learning to trust God. And today's title is A Threefold Key to Learning to Trust God. We all want to learn to trust God, right? Uh, when, you, when you go to spiritual director, I find out that the spiritual director will pay prim- primarily to your prayer life, what you're praying for, what, how you're praying for, and that reflects so much of your relationship with God. The question is, in this Advent season, in this uh, so many uh, days of holidays, which, from which we I actually came from the word holy days, the, the feast of seasons, each seasons were holy days of Israel. And the Western, uh, adopt, Western uh, culture adopt when when they adopted uh, and adapted to to the Judeo Christian culture, the word holidays holidays came about. How is your prayer life in this spacious time? If we're not intentional. Are you and me, including me, our default mode is something more convenient and comfortable in which we stop praying. We don't become spiritually alert. We become spiritually blurry. So a non-Christian way of ending the air is trying to forget the pain. Drinking and party is one of that. And then January 1st, on that day, instead of starting with the new year with a clear vision and spiritual direction, we could end up being very blurry people. <coughs> so, Would you think about this? This psalm can teach us how to pray in an encouraging way. And David is giving us secret, his secret. After all, he is called 
a man after God's own heart. So what's David's secret? What, are, what, are, what have you done? Or what, how do you do relationship with God that becomes so intimate? And then all throughout the psalm, his confidence in God and God's promise oozes out. So as I hinted in the sermon title, it is a three-fold key. I think David, as a friend of a, a pastor's sermon, his psalm always gives away the structure that uh, three or four, four thoughts. But um, let me give you this idea. I love David. I love Psalms, but if you follow David's Psalms, and there's a pattern of his life, and the Psalm 9 is no exception. There are three things that he always does, regardless of his situation is. And we ought to learn that. Here's the first one. The first one is a, a determination to praise God. <coughs> Why? It, it leads us to be God-centered, not man-centered or need-centered in our faith and prayer. If I ask you, how are you doing these days? How are things going with your family? And if you go to God with contention upon your circumstances, it will be, by default, me-centered. I'm not doing too bad. God has to heal my children or, in my case, do a miracle for my brother, uh, provide financially starting coming January. And there's a worry. So when you're worried and fearful, what do you do? Our prayer life becomes like that. Look at, just look through, open your, keep your Bible open and look through the verses. The other verses actually are the real circumstances that he's in. He's in affliction. His nation is in affliction. But he starts with prayer. Why? David learned this predetermined posture of life. His lifestyle is, I will praise God no matter what because my best is not even good. I mean, compared to God, God's goodness. I want God to be my best. At least mentally we're all convinced, right? God is a sovereign God. He cares for us. After all, he died on the cross for my sins. And he loved me so much that he died on the cross. We don't have any problem believing that. If somebody died on the cross because he loves you so much, would he mislead you? Of course not. But the problem is we continually go to the need-centered approach. The one thing that we have to learn is a God-centered 
life. How do you, how do you start the day with God-centered life? Praise. There are two kinds of um, ways getting getting out of your your bed. Oh God, it's morning. That's a knee-centered prayer. <laughs> or we could say, Oh God, it's morning. Thank you. Praise you. That's why. He goes with verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. In verse 11, he sings again. But watch for the differences. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. The first part is his individual praise. And because his determination to praise his personal praise turns into communal praise. He's calling others to participate with him, to sing. Hence the reason why we get together each, each Lord's Day, to sing praises to God. As I mentioned, I think we need to think about this David's predetermined posture. Do I have that? Even if you have cold and flu, even your financial status is not as good as you hoped it to be, even if your brother and your children are not doing, in terms of health-wise, not, not doing as well as you hope to be, we could praise God. We could thank God. In so doing, predetermination or determination to praise must be with our whole heart. I think that's really usually the problem. We have a well-meaning intention. Half-hearted, noble. Oh, yeah, I kind of want that too. But as James 1 mentioned, anyone who's divided cannot conquer, cannot re- expect anything to receive to from God. So let me ask you, is your heart predetermined to praise? Not on the contingent upon the knees or how you well you're doing? And in your expectation, in terms of prosperity gospel, is life must be good. Right? No? That's not the gospel. God is good. Life can be really, really bad.
something happens to you when you begin to praise, when you begin to give thanks to God with whole heart. Circumstances didn't change. Haven't changed at all. But God restores the joy in you. So in our learning to trust God, we are also to make praise and thanksgiving to God as our wholehearted predetermination, way of life. Here's the second one. David also did have this as a, his default mode of faith, a remembrance of God's attributes and deeds. Why this leads us to focus on trustworthiness of God rather than unreliable people, circumstances, unreliable people, not only the people who don't like you, but who love you, who have best intentions for you, including your mom and dad, your husband and wife, your boyfriend and girlfriend. Remembrance. Let's see what he remembers. Verse 3. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out your name, their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits on the throne forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. What do you see? As he praises God, he needs to praise God about something. He goes for his past experience, who God is, who God was to him, and who, what God has done for him. And he recounts every single one of them. I, I think there is a reason why David left this portion very vaguely. He doesn't mention specifically, and the scholars trying to figure it out, which time period of history, historical time that he is mentioning this. Is it Goliath? Is it, is it uh, returning to his kingdom and kingship after Absalom revolted and his own son? The answer? Scholars, we don't really know clearly. I think the reason why it is ambiguous 
is for the readers, for the hearers, to put our own thing in there. That it is not just a, uh, applicable to David only, but to you and me. But general theme on this, actually, still, what do you see? Who, who, who was God to him? What has God done? And what is the conclusion? Few words come. God is sovereign. He sits on the throne. All these things, incredible things are happening. And even looking at it, looking at the you know, daily news and online news, that there are incredible things happening. Another shooting in Colorado. And human trafficking happens. All these things are happening in our in our world. But he remembers God is sitting on, a, on the throne. God is never frustrated. God is sovereign. He wills freely and he does what have, whatever he pleases. And another one, if I do whatever I want and whatever I wish, you should be worried, right? Because I know the, how wicked human heart heart can be, self-centered can be. But when God does whatever he wants, he's able to do whatever he wants. He is righteous, just. The justice and righteousness of God is another theme that he mentions. And obviously, his mighty power. What is the conclusion? Verse 9. Oh, isn't that great? All of a sudden, it turns into present tense. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And yes, I needed that. My brother's pastorate ends this month, December 31st. And we have no knowledge, at least to me, how he's going to survive. His PML, his brain disease, has not improved at all. He's still on dialysis three times a week. If I look at the circumstances, things are out of control. I have fear and anxiety that could make me really literally depressed. But as I sing praises to God and give thanks to God with my whole heart, and God brings back to the times that he was sovereign. And not only in my life, and my brother's life, he had given, given him extension in his life by kidney transplant 20-some years ago. And his ministry was powerful because of that. He was a broken man. And he's one of the few spiritual leaders that really has a deep impact on my life. And as you guys know that. These are 
the recounting of God's mighty works and his sovereignty and his righteousness is justice. How about in your life? What can you recount and remember? Bring to your remembrance. If you don't do that intentionally, our default mode, because of our sinful nature, we have a spiritual amnesia. At that moment, you couldn't believe. Your mind was blown away. And then you want to tell everybody God exists and God bless, God did this. A few years passed. You kind of wonder that was coincidental. You kind of wonder, you know, that wasn't a really big deal. It is a big deal, but it doesn't help me right now. So when you start with praise and thanksgiving, it will lead us, help us to recount those. And the conclusion is always we go, we end in end on the trustworthiness of God. That God is trustworthy. Worthy of our trust. So the Lord is a stronghold for Paul who feels fearful. And the Lord is a stronghold in times of trouble for you put your name. Your mom and your dad who has cancer. Third, by this time, we ought to realize that these are not three things. So I, I, I will do one of the three. No, it is a movement, right? He goes to a plea for God's mercy and help and justice rule. And this leads us to put our hope and confidence in God. Verse 13, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift up, lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises. That in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. In verse 1, he already said, I recount the mighty deeds of God. And verse 13, verse 14, one of the reasons God, I mean, he is pleading with God is, so that I may recount the fresh ones of your work and your attributes again. And at the end of the psalm, there is a prayer, communal prayer this time, intercessory prayer too, not only for him, but listen to the emotion behind it. Can you feel the confidence? 
Arise, O Lord, let not men prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Oh, when I read that, I think about North Korea. And I, I think I need to pray more. We need to pray more for the deliverance of not only the underground Christians there being persecuted over 70 years, but also the people of North Korea, the nation that is, has been suffered from the, the cruel dictatorship But we could pray with confidence. We could ask God, arise, O God. Let them know, let whoever, Kim Jong-un or whoever that is, all around the nation, the wicked nations in let them know they are but men. Mere men. See, praising God and remembering God's attributes and, and his mighty works leads us to fresh confidence in asking God to act for us. Has he acted? Of course he did. He sent his own son to die on the cross for us. He removed our sins as far as the west to the east. He has called us, acted us to call us, gave us the right to become children of God who are to be co-heirs with Christ for in his eternal kingdom. Yes, he acted us on behalf of us. And personally, he has given you health. He has given you children. He has given, provided financially all the things you need and all the things that, good things that you enjoy. And mine. So, as he's doing this, there's some incredible thing happening. You know, uh, he's counting on not, not only God is trustworthy in the sense that he's faithful in keeping his promises, but also in mighty in his power. And then his confidence in God increases. So going back to verse 15, it's kind of strange. He made the plea to God. And the verse 15 goes back to past tense. Perfect, you know, tense. The, the nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net they hid, they hid. They own, their own food has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared, 
snared in the work of their own hands, the wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God, for the needy. Once again, the conclusion again. Shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Some might think that this is recounting God's work in the past. Uh, there is some, but he has already done that. What he's doing is because of his building confidence, he makes a plea and consider it as received. I want to learn to trust God like that. Do you remember the time that you needed something and you, want, you made a request and your good friend, your coworker or something, can you do this for me? And then one, one word answer. I love that when I get those done. He he's didn't have a time to do that. With basically, it means consider it done already. Trust me that I will do it for you. Done. Am I far-fetched to think like that? No, I don't think so. First John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. This is Apostle John encouraging us, Christ followers. And this is the testimony. I'm sorry. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Isn't that awesome to think, to see glimpses of David's heart? Becoming more confident. We ought to do that too. In learning trust God, learning to trust God, we are also to ask God with confidence in his character, in his promises, and in his sovereignty. I want us to look at this as a one Movement. I mean, something that we could practice daily is coming a uh, few days left in 2013, in the beginning of the new year. Will you start your day with praise and thanksgiving? And throughout the day, would you recount his mighty works for you? In the past. And who he is. He is to you. Bring that to your remembrance. And do ask. Boldly ask. Confidently ask God. To act. And may we have. Growing confidence and faith. In that. I close it with this. And Charles Spurgeon, uh, when he was meditating on this psalm, 
And these, these are so good, but too long. So I actually put it together as an excerpt. So about two, two, two three paragraphs condensed in one. He writes, if you are really trusting in Jesus, there are brighter days yet in store for you. The king shall yet bring you into his banqueting house, and his banner over you shall be love. And you shall see such changes that you shall sing, my morning he to dancing turns, for sackcloth joy he gives, a moment, O Lord, thine anger burns, but long thy favor lives. The needy shall not always be forgotten. They will be specially remembered when Christ comes and he says to them, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. They will be remembered as they enter into the joy of their Lord. And then throughout the eternal ages, they will never be forgotten of him. They may well bear whatever comes upon them now in the anticipation of the glory that is yet to be revealed. May that be our confession. And may that our meditation is coming week. Whether you're sick, whether you're well, whether you're financially doing well, and financially struggling. Whether you have a hopeful, ambitious career ahead of you, whether you're still struggling in your career, to trying to figure out your niche. May God give you this threefold key to trust and to grow in confidence in Him. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for your reminders of this threefold key from David's example. We pray that every single one of us in this room would learn during this Advent season and year end, the beginning of the new year. Give us faith. Increase our faith as we praise, as we remember your deeds and your attributes, and as we boldly ask, may we become people of God, growing in confidence in the mighty God we serve. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.